Hey guys, this is part two to episode 18 of the Game of Thrones podcast. This is our continuing discussion of Fire and Blood Chapter 4, Sons of the Dragon. But okay, so Preston, can you please sum up uh, the closing arguments for Aenys so we can move on into Magor? Take as much time as you want, because I know you wanted to rant a little bit about this. Please rant away. The floor is yours. So we had... So you ha we have all these uprisings happening once Aenys comes into power, and they're all sequels to stuff that Aegon put down. So, so you you know you have you have the Vale again, the Ironborn again, Harrenhal again, and the Dornish again through the Vulture through the Vulture King, uh, the Vulture the Vulture King's um, like one of the lords that that uh, is with the Vulture King, Wiles, like ends up getting his hand cut off by by Oris Baratheon, and then the Vulture King is is put out there to die of exposure. Um, and that's all, that's supposed to parallel Jamie because when Jamie finally got to Vargo Hote, the guy who's who's guilty of cutting off his hand or at least ordering it, Vargo Hote had all of his limbs cut off and fed to him. And it was like such a degree of like gross um, revenge that Jamie was like, oh, this isn't very satisfying at all. Like that's, that's, you know, he was like really looking forward to getting revenge on Vargo Hote. And then when he finds out what happened to Vargo Hote, he's like, oh, that's that's horrible. But it wasn't. But with with uh, with Sam Tarly, it wasn't that way. Sam Tarly comes in and says, eh, you know, all these people suck. I'm going to do the worst thing in the world to them. And, you know, he, he got his full revenge. So there's kind of a, a little flip on things. Um, and so then uh, the big shift in in everything with Aenys is when his his he has a stillborn daughter, uh, Vela. And when Vela is stillborn, all of a sudden Magor uh flips out and, and is and is angry about his wife being uh barren, or at least them not having children. And so um you know he did, he takes a second wife, Alice Haraway. And then at this point the faith gets really angry because he's he's done polygamy and they're so angry and Anis is like, oh, what are you doing, dude? I, I have to exile you. And so Magor is exiled for five years or whatever. Um, and that's that's kind of a big shift. And now Anis is there all by himself and Magor is gone. And so now the war is starting to get pretty bad. Um, and then... Um, Weirdly, the minute Magor leaves and the Faith is getting upset, Aenys decides to marry Reyna to um, her brother Aegon the Uncrowned, and so it's a really weird moment. And this is this is actually a big one that I that that I wanted to talk about because he's at war and he's he's just exiled Magor for pissing off the Faith, and the whole country is falling apart because because you know, because of the faith militant and the high Septon is, is angry and is, it's a big parallel to the high Sparrow movement and all of this. Um, so why would Aenys do something so provocative at this moment? Like, why does he marry his daughter and son together? And I do have a theory on, on why Aenys in the middle of this horrible situation decides to provoke the faith, even though he just did something to, to, you know, appease the faith, like ex exiling Magor is appeasing the faith. So why would Aenys, this weakling, whose whole kingdom is falling apart, all of a sudden piss off the faith like this? 
Um, and so my big my big theory is when Anis and Magor were were ruling as brothers, and Anis kind of makes this a co-rule. You know, even though the uh, Gildane is saying, "Oh, Anis is is the king," and everybody thinks he's the king. Anis clearly thinks he's co-ruling with Magor. He kind of offers him that. And it works out. Like, they can say, okay, no brother-to-sister marriage. It works out if they can marry cousin-to-cousin. And so the the Targaryen line, and what's special about the Targaryen line, like keeping the the blood pure, getting, getting the recessive genes necessary to ride dragons, can happen if both Magor and Aenys are able to have children because they can marry cousin to cousin. The faith of the seven was like, oh, no uncle to niece, no brothers to sister, but they seem to be fine with cousin to cousin. So as long as Magor can have a kid, that kid can marry one of Aenys's kids and the line of the dragon can, can continue. Um, and actually cross cousin marriage is a very common old feudal practice. Um, but the minute Magor is unable to have kids, that system breaks down. And so the question is, how are you going to keep the blood of the dragon pure? How are you going to get the recessive genes together if you can't marry cousin, if, you, if this situation of marrying cousin to cousin isn't happening? I mean, you could maybe wait another generation to see what happens with the next kids. But at that point, you know, the, the recessive genes might be all gone or or. or or hard to figure out or something, or you miss a generation of dragon riders. A whole generation of people won't be able to hatch dragons. And so I think Aenys and Magor were more in line with each other than people think. I think the two were were got along, and I think they, they had the same goals. Um, I think they were talking about producing a dragon riding um, you know, house, and that if Magor couldn't have kids then Aenys needed to do something extreme. And so he needed to marry his kids together in order to produce more dragon riders. And so that's what I think happened. I think that, you know, now that Magor is, is proven to be sterile and he's gone and he's exiled, you know, the future of House Targaryen relies on, on its incest. And so he, he, um, he marries Ra- uh, Dreamfire Reyna to Aegon the Uncrowned. And, uh, and, that super pisses off the faith, and now there's a full-blown war. And what's funny is, he should have seen this coming, obviously, because he, you know how the faith is. And as soon as he announces the marriage and has them, you know, go around the realm, you know, trying to do like a kind of like a parade thing, the small folk don't receive them, they don't really give a fuck about them. And as soon as they, uh, what are they, besieged uh, at, at one of the uh, the castles in the um, in the Western Lands by the faith, right? Yes. And this this is an interesting thing because it's actually you can actually see how the Targaryens got tricked into fighting each other. Um, Because Aenys Aenys dies at 35 and he he supposedly looks like an old man and they're like, oh, it's all because of stress. And it's like he was probably poisoned. I mean, people don't die at 35 looking like old men unless something's seriously wrong. Well, after the after the siege goes down, he 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 collapses, I'm assuming from a stroke. Or right. something like that, and well, he goes to dra- the the um, Dragonstone where Visenya looks after him, and supposedly she poisons him. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows who poisoned him? But whatever the case, maybe it was Visenya, maybe it was the Faith. 
Um, but I think, yeah, he, he definitely seems to be poisoned. But, you know, right right at that point, you look at it from the face perspective or an anti-dragon perspective. And, you know, if we're getting into Maester Marwyn's, like, uh, conspiracy of, of House Hightower and the, and the Citadel and the faith and, and the Old Town forces, um, if you look at it as an, in an anti-dragon conspiracy, they have, you know, Reyna and Aegon besieged and Aenys is, is getting poisoned and Maegor is exiled, you, you, know, you know, you're pretty close to the end of, of House Targaryen or at least, uh, you know, dragon riding House Targaryen. And so really Visenya, maybe she had to kill Aenys just to get Maegor back. It's a smart move if you're talking about the survival of House Targaryen. But she gets, uh, she gets Maegor back. You know, Aenys dies, so Maegor returns. And then um, what's funny is that, you know, Maegor needs to take control of things. They need a strong leader to put down the faith. And so he claims the kingship. But then um, Aegon the Uncrowned gets declared king as well by his mom, Alyssa Valarian, which is a really dumb move. And so now you've got two. Now you've got Targaryen versus Targaryen because Maegor came back to save the house, but then he comes. But then he looks like a usurper because he had, you know, he came back to save the house and and save his nieces and nephews, really. But he comes back and he looks like the bad guy. He looks like the usurper. And um, so in the end, like Aegon, Aegon the Uncrowned ends up battling Maegor uh, on dragons. And, you know, Aegon the Uncrowned gets killed. Wait a minute. So. You're trying to paint Maegor the Cruel as actually the hero of the story? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least at this point. <laughs> that? At I least at you, this man. point. Really? I mean, I'm just saying we're looking at it from Maegor's perspective, right? Uh. Maegor, like, look, you know, like the whole kingdom's falling apart and your family is about to get destroyed. No one's taken control. And, and, and you've got the biggest dragon around. And, you know, you're the only one that can save everybody. And you come back, you Wait, take so how control. Is, how is he trying to save his, his nephew and niece when he comes back and, like, the first thing you do is, is, is battle his, his nephew atop of the god's eye and kills him and his dragon? Well, that was after Aegon got crowned and declared his, his, his uncle a usurper. Mm, you know? So his so, uncle had to save face and go kick his know. ass. You know, it's just these are people in his way. I'm just, love, I'm just, I'm just. I love you know, how you're trying to paint him as the good guy. That's funny. I'm just saying, there's, he's, it's more understandable. Like I think, you know, Magor's. If you look at Magor's goals, you know, like we need to have a dragon riding um, house Targaryen uh, for the future. If you look mm-hmm. that for the, as that as a goal, um, you know, a lot of his, a lot of his actions seem more, more reasonable. Okay. You know. So Maegor comes back, he takes the he takes the throne, and he can't let Aegon the Uncrowned stand in his way, because as long as Aegon lives, then his rule will be questioned. He goes over there, Aegon tries to meet him in the field. Balerion is a much bigger dragon than uh, Quicksilver, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. And they end up And, and Aegon, Aegon had, a hard, had hardly any riding experience at this point, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they so. end up uh, fighting, and uh, Maegor kills his nephew, and his niece runs away to Fair Isle. Right, and this is this is this gets into the um, Reina. <laughs> you're making the bi- a big deal out of it, but Reina, Reina being a lesbian, it, her her old lover Melanie 
dies at the same time as Aegon. And so they're mm-hmm. like, oh, she was so sad, so sad for us. But it's like, well, her her, her, her lover died at the same time, you know. Wait, I make it a big deal? You're the one <laughs> saying that she's a lesbian. What are you coming at me for? <laughs> You're alluding that she's a lesbian. I just think she has a best friend, but whatever. <laughs> she has a lot of really great friends. Why not? <laughs> that's fine fine <laughs> but nonetheless you know um then Aegon goes into full full-blown kill everybody mode and, and trying to have uh trying to have a kid which just isn't gonna happen well i would also attribute that to his first wife the hightower woman being unable to have children herself and uh then tyano the tower who he picks up while in exile in essos also throwing a monkey wrench into those plans as well yeah, I mean, he, he, he has, what, six wives total, or six lovers and wives total? Yeah, I mean, he just keeps trying. But, and I have various, I have various theories on why he, he, he's, like, clearly Magor is the, tr- the problem, not, um, not the women. So, I think maybe that Magor has Kleinfelter syndrome, which what is... What that? That's where you have XXY chromosomes. Um, but, uh... I don't know. But then other people are like, but he's really strong. I was like, oh, you know, Kleinfelter Wait, go, people... go into more... What, what's the syndrome called? Kleinfelter syndrome. Kleinfelter syndrome. Like, go into more detail. Like, what is that? What so you know, you So that? you know how women have double X chromosomes and men have an XY chromosome? Okay. Well, every once in a while, when one, one in a thousand live births, your sperm doesn't split or the egg doesn't split right. So... Normally you have, you have you have two, you have an X and a Y chromosome, and when your when your sperms when your cells split for sperms, uh, that's split in half through my through through meiosis or not and um, and so some sperms have X's and some sperms have Y's. Well, in Kleinfelter syndrome, there's not the right split, and so a sperm gets both an X and a Y in one of them. Or it happens on the egg side. The eggs don't, you know, with the women, your your X's are split, and so every X every egg has a single X. But in Kleinfelter, you might get a double X over there. So either through a double X in the egg and a Y sperm comes in, boom, you've got XXY, or an X egg and an XY sperm comes in, boom, you have XXY. And so you've got three chromosomes in there instead of two. And so various weird things happen to the body, on Kleinfelter syndrome, men have they're a little they have a little more boobs. Um, they they're 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 sterile. The the men are sterile. But the the problem is is that the the downside of this is actually uh, Magor is considered very very strong. While Kleinfelter people tend to have weaker muscles and reduce strength. Um, though they are supposed to be taller than average and 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 stuff like that and they're supposed to have less muscles and coordination though Megor is pretty fucking awesome so there's definitely some weaknesses to the theory but it was just mainly about like um you know if he was able to um you know why they might fear Megor more than anybody else or something but you know maybe he was super special he had, you know, more more psychic ability because of his double X. It, it, you know, it's kind of a little crazy theory that I had, but there's a lot of things to contradict it. But um, nonetheless, Magor is sterile, <laughs> and Kleinfelters were sterile. You know, I almost feel bad for Magor because Maester Gildane does this quite a bit. He always almost makes it sound like 
Magor was cursed for his war on the faith, and that's why he was, as you we would say, infertile. But um, I also feel like there's, I don't know, you're making me think like there's this like grander conspiracy against Magor by the faith that has so many players attached to it. Right, like, like, at first I could say, okay, well, with his first wife, you could maybe argue that there was a conspiracy to not have him have kids. That she was, her name was pretty close to Cersei. Her, um, Sir, what is Sir, uh Wasn't it like Sir, Sir Ace or something like that? Yeah. Something like that. And, and we know that, we know that, like, Cersei was, um, uh, purposely not letting Robert have kids, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and so... You know, one could argue that she was doing the same thing, but the problem is that Magor goes and has all these all these other women in foreign countries, no less, away from the faith of the Seven, and so somehow, I mean, it'd have to be a massive conspiracy for all of these women to not have his kids. You know, but so I really, I mean, Magor is just sterile. Uh, I mean, I think that's just the luck of the draw, or maybe the luck of Kleinfelter syndrome. I don't know. My little theory. But nonetheless, uh, he, he's not having any kids. He's sterile. But I would argue that Magor is probably the most interesting king in the first 50 years of Targaryen rule. He comes back from exile, kills some of his family members, breaks many traditions, and even goes after the faith. The guy just does whatever he wants, and I kind of love it. I, see, th this is the type of like TV show I would like to see. Maybe like a season or two, just of like Magor and the events around him. Magor has an interesting life. Uh, he, he does. Uh, and so, you know, he he travels, he has all these different wives, he's a, he's a crazy character. Um, but you could also, you, you know, it's funny, though, in the same respect, like, you could say, like, Game of Thrones wasn't as good once Joffrey died, you know? You think like, so? He's such a great character, like, it, it, you know, a love-to-hate character, you know? Like, not, he's, and, and this, is, this puts him apart from, say, um, Ramsay. Because no one loves to hate Ramsay. They just hate Ramsay. Like, Ramsay is just evil, evil, evil. But Joffrey was more... And, was more, and this is more about show Joffrey um, versus book Joffrey. Because book Joffrey is, is more hateable than show Joffrey. Book Joffrey's but, a brat. He, that, that's the type of brat you just hate. Show Joffrey yeah. is, like, bratty, but, like, you know, you, you could... You could you, you, yeah, I get what you're coming from. Right. I mean, there, there was just something... There was some way that the... That the actor, um, you Jack know, Leeson. the actor Jack Leeson played him, where you kind of he's he's so horrible, but at the same time you like you kind of like him just because he's such a he's such a douche, mm -hmm. you know. Like it's something <laughs> there's something strange about it to love to hate him. Mm -hmm. um, while while Ramsay is just pure evil, um, and so I mean not not that not that Joffrey is not evil, but he's not pure evil. Like Ramsey, you know, like how mm -hmm. bad can someone be, you know? So, but um, yeah, so <laughs> Magor, Magor, I think like he he would have been interesting in a show, like especially if you tried to portray things from his side, like the the text, the text, obviously the the uh, the Gildane is very anti Magor, but. Going through, I could I could make some arguments for for Magor's side. I want to see this video from you. Why Magor was really the good guy? I want to see this video. I mean, there's I always mean that one video, guy, but there, there's always that one video where like how Palpatine was secretly the good guy all the time. What? What are you no, crazy? Well, no, Palpatine blew up a planet. Like you, know, I mean, and it's true that Magor went around burning people, like burning a lot of people. 
But at the same time, you know, Aegon the Conqueror went around burning all these people. And so what's the difference between him and Aegon the Conqueror? You know, so it's the winner's right history. It kind of gets back to like, why is, why is uh, Augustus Caesar looked on fondly, but Caligula is not? You know, it's like, eh, well, you know, one guy, one guy ended up winning. And so historians treated him well. And one mm-hmm. guy, you know, was, was killed by a coup so it's just uh you know, i will but... admit one thing at first i was kind of annoyed that this was gildane instead of george himself but now i, I kind of like it better once you explain it that way because you're, you're absolutely right you know the, history looks kindly on those who win but mager the cruel i still gotta say i i love this character he may be a douche but at the same time like he fights for everything you know he has to fight the faith at every fucking turn and he wins most of the time yeah, I mean, and, and in fact, the only in, in my belief, in my opinion, the only saving grace of of Fire and Blood and all of these stories is the fact that it's written by a maester. Um, and like some people think it's a cop out, like oh well, now we don't have a definitive history, we don't really know what happened. But I think it's the only thing that makes the text interesting is to go is to read it and go, well, that's not true, or oh no, that's true, or oh clearly this is what really happened, like. The only thing that, that that's fun about reading it is going through and going, well, this this seems biased, you know, like and and the challenge of puzzling out what really happened. Um, other than that, it would just be, you know, the rhyming stuff and people dying and and people with the same names, you know, doing similar stuff, you know, so. But you're saying that there's a, a conspiracy between the High Towers and the Faith to make sure that Magor does not have a kid. And do you think that conspiracy also extends to Tanya of the Tower? Because it is revealed later on that after, uh, what is it, both of his wives or one of them, they, they give birth to uh, stillborn children or, or monsters. Uh, at one point, one of them had wings and no, no legs. Um, Tanya reveals that under torture that she poisoned those women to give him no kids. Do you think Tanya was in on it? Well, that would be, that would be, um, yeah, well, actually that would explain everything. I mean, it's funny because they, obviously the, the having wings and everything like is a parallel to Danny. And we know that Danny was, or at least Danny believes that she was, she was poisoned by, by, uh, Miri Mazdor to produce a stillborn. So it's true that, of all the play, like, well, she was from Pentos, not Bravos, but but say this one woman were in on it, and she poisoned the other women so that they wouldn't have kids, and then the one is a high tower. Well, now the conspiracy's, you know, it's not as big. It's only two women, um, in on it, you know. So maybe that uh, takes away my Kleinfelter syndrome. Then you're saying that Magor actually is fertile, and he just, you know, somebody was behind the scenes like poisoning. Um, his his wives so that they wouldn't have kids. Um, that's I mean, now it's now it's now it's piquing my interest in like what really happened. There's there's so many ideas on what could like it's too bad that we're not we'll never really know because this is all the history we're ever gonna get. But um, yeah, I mean with 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 five six women and no kids, the 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 first assumption is that the problem is Magor. But it's funny if it were actually like a conspiracy of his of his wives or a couple of the wives. But the High Towers and the Faith, they were in on it together. Well, that's the thing is the High Towers Faith 
and and Citadel. That's an easy conspiracy because they're all in Old Town mm-hmm. and and they all have connections to each other. You know, like the High Towers are patrons of both, um, and and you know they've got their network of maesters and septons to to do stuff. Um, and then Magor's first wife is a High Tower, so you can just say, "Honey, when you go off to Magor, make sure make sure you." You do not have a kid. Take your moon tea. Do all your things. You know, mm-hmm. um, or or be like be like Cersei, um, and and only give oral sex or whatever, um, which is what you know. That's what Cersei did. Um, but then the thing is, is when he goes off into into exile and he marries this um, what's her something of the tower. Tanya of the Tower? Uh, Tiana of the Tower. Tiana of the Tower. Like, how do you get her in the conspiracy? She she revealed that she did this? Uh, yeah, and uh, when he's when he's torturing her in the, the black cells, I believe, um, if I remember correctly. And the way I, I guess you could also include this is that the Faith really didn't want him to have, by your, by your conspiracy, the Faith really didn't want him having any offspring. So maybe they contacted her somehow or... Maybe she was the, the, secretly with them the entire time. I guess the problem the problem is is that it's a confession under torture, and mm. you know that a confession under torture is worthless. And and we have the parallel of of the faith. I mean, Cersei torturing um, the the blue bard and, mm-hmm. and getting all of these things out of him about his affairs and and them being false. So yeah, I mean, maybe like Tiana of the Tower was was in on it, but. But um, it sounds more like that she was innocent and he was just torturing her and she, she confessed to something under torture and that he was sterile. That, that would be my guess. Well, keep in mind that this could still be a thing considering that Magor's wives were Alice Haraway and the other one was Jane Westerling. And the same thing would happen to uh, Eleanor uh, Costain. So the, the, oh, those Eleanor, two women... Oh, right, right. So, Ele- so Haraway, Westerling, and Costain wouldn't need to be on, in on the... In on the um, Oh, so so, Eleanor w- did actually get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, who knows? They could have been having sex with whoever, but but the High Tower woman would still not want to have Magor's kid mm-hmm. because she'd be she'd be working for the Faith. But the question is, how did Tiana? How did the Faith get Tiana to do her bidding? You know. Well, they probably could have. They, I would, I would, I would argue they probably promised her that they would remove Magor and and make her queen or something like that. No clue. Maybe offer her a higher position. Or, I mean, what really would be... Well, do you remember what the text says was her reasoning for poisoning those babes? It's it, it's none. There's none given. Tiana, Tiana's like a daughter of a Pentoshi magister. Mm-hmm. And um, she was first a prostitute. And then um, she might have been the the lesbian paramour of Alice Haraway, but the the but yeah, there's no there's no motive for it, unfortunately. Though, um, and she was actually his master of whis- mistress of whispers, so it seems like she was she was probably loyal to him. So uh, it was all strange. Mm-hmm. So with her no motive, I guess that conspiracy could stand. Because once again, the High Tower girl, it, it's it seems that um, she, whether or not she wanted to have um, Magor's uh, child or not, doesn't matter because 
uh, Tiana only poisoned Haraway, Westerling, and Costain. Yeah. So she could be on to... the conspiracy. Motive, right, but I just, know, I just don't, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, don't know what her motive would be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, yeah, I have no, no idea about motive. I mean, even if she's, she's, even if she's lovers with, with Alice Haraway, I'm not sure why she would poison all of these people's women, uh, all these people's babies and whatever. So who knows? So while Magor is planning to strike back at the Faith that are popping up all over the place, he hears that Alyssa's other son, Jaehaerys, is being propped up to take over as the rightful king and is being supported by many houses, and most specifically the Baratheons, uh, Rogar Baratheon. Rogar Robar, yeah. Yeah, he's... Because uh, <laughs> he's, he's the one that claims, yeah, he proclaims Jaehaerys to be mm-hmm. the true king. And many so, other houses are also coming to the side. Everybody's turning on Magor, with the exception of a few a few uh, lords, some of them lesser. And uh, a lot of them lose kind of like their steam when they see there aren't any great houses on Magor's side. And eventually, as some lords were leaving the throne room, Magor goes and sits on the Iron Throne. And then, I believe it was Haraway who finds him somehow pierced on the, the swords of the throne from yeah. like his like kind of almost like what is it like from his back and the swords are coming through his arms and through his neck right i mean clearly he was murdered by somebody um and so the question is who i would probably say you know that um one of his one of his king's guard or something yo let me let me let me throw one theory out there huh baseless man <laughs> Uh, I mean... Why the fuck not? I mean... Why the fuck not? Why, why the fuck not, right? Yeah, it, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's 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 supposed to be... I mean, I guess they say right here, Kingsguard might have done the deed, um, which would require them to act in concert. Two posted at the door. So maybe, maybe Faceless Man. It's funny, because the Faceless Men were mentioned in this very same chapter as having been a candidate for assassinating Septim Moon, yet Gildane, I believe, says that they are meticulous about how they go about it, and that the killing of Septim Moon was kind of sloppy, which it kind of was, but that the Faceless Men take great care to make the killings appear natural, so nobody suspects foul play, which makes sense. Like, you're, if you're going to be a prestige, prestigious assassin order, you're, you're going to, you know, go above and beyond, like, how you go about your job. But his death here is so bizarre and so random that it could be faceless men, but so many people have sat on that chair so many times, yet this is the first time it happens. I, I don't know. It's so weird. So I'm going to go with faceless men. Right, right. So. Yeah. I the, mean, it, I think faceless men, yeah. I mean, obviously we're supposed to think of, of Courtney Penrose and how he was mysteriously murdered as well and things like that. Mm-hmm. People, people just people just dying. So yeah, Shadow Baby. Uh, the the yeah no, I think Faceless Man is probably a pretty good because the first thing I th- you think of is Kingsguard, but then he said then the Gildane says, oh, a Kingsguard might have done it, which makes makes me go, oh, I, so I guess it wasn't a Kingsguard because <laughs> because he suggested it. I'm eliminating that option. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good rule of thumb. Whenever George says, well, it could be this guy, it's not that guy. Got uh, it. I guess not. Oh, uh, oh, mm. uh, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, but I guess... Uh, and and I it's guess funny, it's brought man. up in the same chapter that it's a matter of pride for the faceless men to make it look like a natural occurrence. Obviously, a guy sitting on a fucking uh, throne made of swords and being pierced by those swords, I 
guess you could argue that he leaned on it the wrong way, but at the same time, are you fucking kidding me? No one's going to do that. No one's going to do that. But at the same time, I mean, like, one of the other, one of the other options was for his death, he probably committed suicide. How no. the fuck do you commit suicide the way he did? What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Now I I do say I do I do wonder why House Valarian. They keep mentioning House Valarian was one of the first ones to to go over. I do wonder why House Valarian um abandoned Magor so readily. I mean, actually the answer is pretty easy. All of these children are are Valarian children. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Anis's wife was a Valarian, so and also I guess because Jaharis was getting yeah. a stronger claim, and people were rallying to his side a bit faster. Yeah, plus I mean Jaharis is half Valarian, so the the answer is right there. Mm-hmm. And of course they're gonna, of course they're gonna support of a, a Valarian. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so finally we get we get to the end of Magor dying. God, that was just a behemoth. It was. So, it's, how, how many pages would you say it was fifty one pages? Yeah, uh, ends on one thirteen. I'm sure we so skipped some it. things here and there, but like I said, I actually really oh we li- passed over like all of the battle shit. Like that's fine. No, I it's, mean, like, it's it's battle stuff. Like what the fuck do you want? Yeah, it's it was it was fifty three pages. You know, huge huge, um, huge chunk of this book. Is, but this is why I said th- like every chapter of this book in and of itself could be essentially maybe every chapter or two could be like a season. You know, like a, like a, like an anthology series for Game of Thrones, the Targaryen King, like Fire and Blood. Like we could, like uh, the Sons of the Dragon itself. That could be its own friggin' season because even the battles were all cool. You got Dick Bean, you know, raising a sword. You know, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. I but like, the problem I like is, is even even Sons of the Dragon, like it goes, it the time period is longer than say Game of Thrones. You right. Know? Like it's it's such a long period of time. I mean, Once again, you could do an animated thing about it, but I really like the whole Magor chapter. I think this is one of my uh, favorite chapters that we've covered so far. Oof, even though it was so it was so long. I do think that a lot of the battle stuff that went on a bit long, like we didn't need a description of all the little, you know, um, fights here and there that Magor had. No, we didn't need... We, no, I, I think we need a description of all the fights he did have because all those fights were really cool. What I don't think we need a description of was all the random enemies that he accumulated and all the people in their, like, um, in their retinue. For example, that fat guy, that fat faith militia leader guy that I told you about got his throat sliced. Yeah. When he dies, like, two more dudes rise up from his own camp and try to, like, to do a thing. Like, we didn't need their names. Like, their names were really unnecessary. And also the names of, like, the seven guys that fight for Magor and the seven guys that fight for the Warrior Sons. We didn't need their names or descriptions. There's a lot of, like, names thrown of characters that only get, like, two sentences right. of mention. And that's it. What's what's funny is is when a random character is thrown in and then they're... And then... Because you're getting a bunch of random ones. And then all of a sudden, like... 40 pages later, a random one will come back and you're like, who is that? Who is that motherfucker? And you got to go back be like, Oh, mm-hmm. right. That okay. guy. Mm. Cause all the, all those other random people didn't come back, but this random guy did. And it was significant. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Oh, look, I, I like covering the book. Don't get me wrong. I do. It's just, there really is a lot to go to, but you have to jump a lot. You do, because there are a lot of, like, information that I wouldn't say it's useless, but it's really not worth covering, like the battle stuff. Once again, cool, but at the same time, I mean... Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly fun going through it like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, I, I could imagine someone by themselves without the same sort of like dork level knowledge as you and me, like being like, what the hell is this? Who dork this level is the... knowledge. This is what I said in my video. Like you need a map. You need like a like a map and a family tree. You need a tree. map, a family tree, and you, and you need a dork level knowledge on top of it. Like even like if if I'm sitting there going, oh wait, which Viserys was this? Wait, which Aegon was this? God damn it! Like just think about the, you know the average random. Um. By the way, the so the Sweet Robin picture you use that's from Polly M, Polly yeah. dot Polly dash M on DeviantArt. Um, if you can, leave a link to this person, uh, DeviantArt page in your description, dude, because they also have a really cool House Targaryen complete family tree, which is what I used while reading this book, and god damn, you gotta use this, because it yeah. really helps out a lot. And also having a, a, a map of Westeros, just Google up Westeros map. Uh, make sure it's, um, you go to tools, and then size, <laughs> large, because you need, like, uh, a... Poly- Poly M is hilarious because um, the, you go to the you go to the the, the family tree on DeviantArt mm-hmm. and it's written under it. I don't even like House Targaryen. Why did I do this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I gotta give them. I don't know if it's a male or female, but I gotta, I, I gotta give him or her huge props because every single character is distinct and different and has like an era of uh like an aura of like character about them it's it's crazy and and no offense to um Polly M is is a female from France from where from France just say France don't be an asshole just fucking say France <laughs> uh, t- uh props to her and no offense to Amok who is also a great uh, artist as well um but I love this family tree she did a magnificent job uh, props to her. Definitely leave her DeviantArt if you can in the description because awesome. Um, for those of you who uh, who don't like to look at the description because you're a douchebag, it's Polly, P-O-L-Y dash M at DeviantArt. So uh, props to her for helping us out with this because that's what I'm using. It, <sighs> is, it is a really beautiful family tree that has um, just all the character. Um she she has some she has some great stuff. Uh, she has she has a, some great art of of uh, all the characters from the Vale as well mm-hmm. and, and, and different places. And it's a uh, it's some, she it's she did stuff. your Sweet Robin thing, right? She did. Mm-hmm. She did. All right, Price, you want to wrap it up here? Um, sure. Yes. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Game of Thrones podcast. Keep in mind that we do have our own Game of Thrones podcast channel where we have previous episodes compiled all on there. So if you want to go back and check that stuff out, I'm going to upload the mini episodes on there fairly soon so you can binge the hell out of that. Um, I'll leave uh, press and please leave a link in the description below since this will be on your channel, please. Um, it should be youtube.com slash C slash Game of Thrones podcast. That, that's what it should okay. be. Uh, Press, do we have any videos coming up from you? Um, nothing, nothing, uh, I mean, just my, my, my regular, my regular fare. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, prepping for winter, Night's, Night's Watch, um, and, uh, prepping for winter, I'm moving into the Tyrion chapters. I've got, always got my What's You're Missing with the show, and, uh, always working on Night's Watch. You're, you're catching series. up pretty quickly on the What's You're Missing stuff. Oh, yeah, no, we're coming to the end of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm on, I'm on, uh, 
working on episode 6.7. What happens yeah. when you reach uh, the end of uh, what you're missing and the prepping for winter chapters? What happens then? Are you going to go over through all the entire books? Oh, God, it's going to take ages. I don't know. Ages, I don't but... know. We'll see. We'll see. Would we'll you see. do, like, would you go actually back to a Game of Thrones and cover chapter by chapter? Because that's what a lot of the other no. throne channels are doing. And I know you and I always strive not to do what other people are doing, but would you I actually was thinking, do that? I was thinking if I get to the end of Prepping for Winter, doing something like Epilogue um, or John 13, like one of those last chapters, or Brand 3. Mm-hmm. There's, there is that idea. Actually, you know what's something a lot of people don't actually cover, and I would like to see you tackle it, is um, a lot of this, this stuff outside of the main series, uh, like um, Dunkin' Egg stuff, uh, Rogue mm. Prince, and you know stuff like that. Would you be inclined to, to cover that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could even cover I it always, on here. I always want to do, I always want to do, uh, but it's just never enough time. But yeah, I always want to do everything. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to go through, it's like I want to go through like, this line by line or paragraph by paragraph, but that would just be too much work. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Once again, we will see you all next time. Have a good one.